The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Good evening, good morning, welcome. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being here with me tonight. Terrific show for you tonight from the U.K. David Moore will be joining us. David is an author. He's got a new book out on the psychology behind the UFO phenomenon. It's called Evolutionary Metaphors, and we'll be bringing him in just uh, into the show in just a little bit. Uh, just looking ahead a little bit, on Thursday, tomorrow night's program, it should be. There's a little bit of a question mark here because we're trying to shuffle some things around. But at this point, scheduled for the program is Scarlett Ravenswood. Scarlett is a tarot card reader and a business coach. She'll be talking about paganism and divination. And then as we skip ahead to Monday, because Friday is a best of program, Del Bigtree will be here. He is an investigative journalist, and he's a CEO of the Informed Consent Action Network, which discusses his work um, around vaccines and the pharmaceutical industry and what he calls pharmaceutical tyranny. We've been uh, wanting to talk about vaccines and the controversy surrounding them for a long time, so this will be a start of that discussion. Tuesday, Ken Honda will be here. He's the author of a book called Happy Money. He'll be showing people how to create a life of abundance by changing their relationship with money. I have one relationship with money. I like it, and I want more of it. That's my theory. Maybe he'll teach me that I'm wrong. And then just looking ahead to Wednesday, Graham Phillips, a historical investigator and author, will be back with us. He's been on before. We'll be talking about Stonehenge. And the fact that it was used as an ancient healing sanctuary and a calendar. So a lot of great programs coming up. And I've got to apologize to you uh, right now because my producer, Orion, came in last night uh, to do the show. And, of course, I had just gotten back from Scaricon. And uh, he was sick. He's coughing all over the board and the microphones and everything. And uh, <clears throat> I think I've, I've caught a touch of what producer Orion brought into the studio last night. Which is a little bit disappointing because I got to head out for uh, Pittsburgh tomorrow for a show down there. Yeah, I'm going to uh, Living Dead Weekend in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, right outside of Pittsburgh. And it's a celebration of a lot of George Romero uh, stuff, uh, a lot of his films and uh, his work, including Creepshow. So that'll be a good time this weekend. Anyway, a lot of stuff ahead, and uh, we're going to be getting our dis- beginning our discussion with uh, David Moore in just a few moments. I've got tea here that's going to help the night along, um, and I should be hopefully all better by tomorrow by the time I get in the car to head to Pittsburgh. All right, it's Beyond Reality Radio. We've got a great show ahead. Don't go away. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, if you're a podcast listener, and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast. App. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar, goes a long way in helping us produce this program, provide great interviews for you during the course of the week. I thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Telephone number for later in the show is 844-687-7669. We'd love to have your comments and your questions and have you join our discussion. Our guest tonight, David Moore from the UK. David is an author. He's got a new book out. It's called Evolutionary Metaphors. His website is ritualinthedark.wordpress.com if you want to get more information about his work. David, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's an honor to have you here tonight. It's great to be on the show, JB. So, um... The book is kind of brand new, isn't it? Just out a couple of weeks. Uh, yes, it was out on the 1st of June in uh, the U.S. And uh, the first thing I have to ask you is this title. What are we talking about here? The title is Evolutionary Metaphors, UFOs, New Existentialism, and the Future Paradigm. What are we talking about here? <clears throat> Evolutionary Metaphors was the uh, title that came to me when I was thinking about the UFO phenomena. And I think it seemed to capture the whole experience when... When you start to read a lot of the uh, books on ufology, you start to come away with a, a completely evolutionary and um, groundbreaking new um, appreciation for reality. So I called it evolutionary metaphors to bring the symbol of the UFO and what it what it brings to us when we think about it and and the progression of the evolutionary um, aspect of it. I find it very interesting when I talk to folks who uh, have researched and done a lot of work in ufology. And I always find there's a really interesting story that started it all for them. What's your story? How did this begin for you? Uh, it all by, began in 2008 of February when me and my friends, and we were all about in our early 20s at the time. I was about 22. And we went up to this uh, woodland for a, a little fire that we often did because we uh, lived in a village just outside of the city of Wolverhampton. So there was often not much to do. So we'd go up to this woodland and this night, which was the 10th of February, we, it was no different to any other time we went. And we sat down and we started this fire up and I decided to scout out. And there was a fallen tree which was pushing down some of the other trees in the area. So you could see into the distance and see the horizon in the, uh, over another village called Kimva. And, I, and as I sat down on this fallen tree and looked out, there was this uh, small um, contraction of white light. And at first I thought it was just a, a car headlight coming up over a hill. But I kept my eye on it because there's, it, it didn't seem to strike me as a car in the, in the first place. So I just kept a, an eye on it and then realized that it was much closer than, than it could have been any car or aircraft. And I waited for it to turn around because, you know, when you see a light and it turns, you can see the light glare off into the distance. Well, this this was constantly focused on us, so it was increasingly getting increasingly closer so i kept my eye on it and then it, it began to creep ever closer and it was absolutely silent and i called my friends over and we were looking at it and we just waited for it to arrive in complete silence and we we all wondered what it was and then it flew over the the, the canopy of trees and there was an opening um in the where you could see through to the sky quite easily and clearly and this quite large object, let's say like uh, two buses, 
flew over completely silently and changed to a complete red. And then it receded and went back and, and went off into the other direction. But it, it went directly over us as well. So it could have gone anywhere, but it seemed to particularly go right over us. And we're the only people in that stretch of land at that time, most likely anyway. And then after that, we, we, we were in a frenzy of discussion and, and describing it to each other. What did you see? And so on. And after that, I decided to write up a UFO report to a local um, group called Birmingham UFO Group. And after that, I just decided to read as many UFO books as I could get hold of. And you, um, how many friends were with you at the time? Uh, there were three. And did everybody have the same experience? Everyone had the same experience, but all the descriptions were slightly different because we were standing from different angles. And, and it was quite a quick experience. So it was right. just a flash of this UFO that flew over us. And then people, we, we kind of... Because we're best friends, uh, one as brother and one we don't see very often anymore, but we all came to see it as a non-physical um, thing. So it was more like a we described it as sort of a bag of luminescent lights rather than as a structure. There was no particular shape we could define it as because the light was quite powerful. So you couldn't quite see if it was a triangle or a circle. It, it just seemed to be a whole system of lights. It wasn't... A, it didn't seem mechanical. That was one of the things we all agreed on. And you said it was silent. Yeah, it was absolutely silent. Now, um, it was your first UFO experience. Did anybody else in the group have a prior experience? Um, not that I'm aware of. I, I had a, a UFO experience, which is so far back in my memory that I, I don't usually talk about it in terms of my first UFO experience, mm -hmm. but I remember one as a kid, uh, about 10 years old, and I ran out into the garden, looked directly up, and there was a triangle in the sky, and I, I shouted for my mom, and she was taking shopping out of the car, and she thought I was being hysterical, you know, just, just she just ignored me, and I was so insistent that I needed to describe this craft to her, but she, she didn't believe me, and I, I became quite indignant as a kid, because you couldn't communicate this strange thing in the sky it was only there for a split second and it vanished straight away it just went completely invisible but this 2008 is the major sighting where i because i was 22 and you know it's when you when you think back to these younger memories they're hard to yeah. sort of bring up yeah you know I, the reason i ask that question is frequently we've had uh people who have had that kind of an experience uh, often have an earlier experience when they were young, and um, yeah. and it sounds as though you did. Do you, do you, do you uh, in retrospect, connect the two at all? I think so, because although in my 20s I had gone away from being interested in the paranormal and UFOs, and I was more into, say, normal, what you called a conventional literature, although it was, you know, I was getting into existentialism and philosophy, and it was all material and down-to-earth. And then at that point, it sort of brought, brought back my early sort of childhood, childhood interest in, in the strange and the magical again, which I had as a child. It was always on the, on the outer limits because I was quite interested in science fiction. And as a, as a kid, one of the films that really aff affected me was Starman with Jeff Bridges. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a classic, and that has a lot of uh, UFO... Um, insights in it uh, where this uh, white light comes down and 
inhabits the genetics of this past husband and takes over. I mean, that that was one of the films I was quite obsessed with as a, as a child. But as I got older, I grew away from a lot of that interest. And that's when it came back again in 2008, when I saw this UFO, I became, it, it suddenly opened the door again in a much larger way. Yeah, and you, you've kind of touched on the idea that you may have had an interest in some other paranormal phenomena as well, beyond just uh, UFO, UFO sightings or UFOs. Is that true? Uh, yes, that was true in my early, early, you know, when I was about 10 years old up to probably about 14, 15, and then I grew out of it. So as the door opened again and it opened wider and you took a real interest in pursuing this, and I'm, I'm assuming the interest was in one way to try to find some answers, uh, yeah. what path did that lead you on? That led me on a massive trail because what happened was, Around about my 20s, I was reading a lot on, on, on gloomy philosophy in general. And I had picked up a book by Colin Wilson, who's written nearly 180 books, but his earliest book was on existential philosophy. And I was already a, a big fan of his work, and I had read all of his early works. And then I had found out he had later on wrote a book on U, UFOs uh, called Alien Dawn in 1998. And that's when I picked it up. And it linked my interests of the time with these new interests and new developments uh, after the UFO experience. So it was the work of Colin Wilson that brought it all together for me. It was sort of like a massive flash where you could see a landscape, you know, uh, and, and, and start to map out a way of new answers. And when I started to read all this uh, UFO literature, paranormal, even the occult, uh, I was interested in the occult with uh, Colin's book on the occult. And then I went on to read uh, Gurdjieff, uh, Blavatsky, and and so on. I started to realize that the the answer and, and the mystery of existence, you know, this is one of the main drives of my interest in philosophy as a, a as a gloomy twenty year old, started to break away because you, you begin to ask so many more questions about uh, the nature of reality, to to the afterlife, to how how you can affect space and time. I mean, this is the basic. Um, underlying recognition of magic and then you get to the ufo and if you read a lot of the uh, case studies by jack uh, john e mack uh, even jack valet he links them up with this uh, paranormal dimension which really caught me on to a lot of other things because it tied up with all the paranormal phenomena and then of course there's the nuts and bolts interpretation of the ufo which is a usually as a, a craft from another planet a physical planet or or interdimensional or then there's the military cover-up so i was became more interested in all that as well but one of the things i think that really drove it to me was carl jung's early work in in ufos which was flying saucers which was written in 1958 and he saw it as a psychological phenomenon and at first i saw it as a psychological phenomenon for myself because i started asking so many new questions and that's why I called it evolutionary metaphors, because it was the only way I could grasp the the mystery of the my own experience at first, because there were no answers forthcoming straight away. And the only one thing I could say it did to me was to open up the door to an enormous range of new literature for me. Would you say that this quest at this point, and I know we're, we're a long way from um, getting any definitive answers, but would you say that at this point you're closer to finding answers, or would you say that you have just learned how to ask the right questions? 
I think I'm learning how to ask the right questions. And there are echoes of confirmation coming out more and more because I'd written Evolutionary Metaphors last year. And then a book came out this year, which was released on um, Oxford University Press. And that confirmed my basic uh, thesis. And in that book, um, Dr. Pasolka explores very high-flying individuals such as um, biotechnologists and uh, NASA officials and so on who believe in UFOs or have had experiences of other entities. And often they brought up the curious phenomena of synchronicities in their life. So miraculous events would happen in their life, which would lead to technological breakthroughs. And when she was talking about that, I, I very felt I came very close in my own book to this recognition of these entities having some kind of influence over time and space, but also uh, bridging a gap between our world and theirs, and maybe influencing larger echelons higher up in society. But the, the curious thing I found was that the, the occult also deals with that, because when people become saturated in the occult world, they look for signs and symbols and reality. And it's, you've got to ask the question, where do these come from? Do they come from the unconscious mind? Or they, do they come from um, interdimensional spirits or, 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 or extraterrestrial entities or interdimensionals? And it all sort of tied up because then when you look, when you go through my own book, Evolutionary Metaphors, I, go, I begin from the, the ground of the experience and I focus on Whitley Strieber's works in particular because they're, I, they're, I find them quite a reliable psychological insight into the abduction phenomena. And then you lead up to shamanism, which I do in a chapter called uh, Walking Between Worlds, where there are these shamans who, who undertake altered states of consciousness and commune with spirits and so on. Yeah, and the occult and shamanism bridge over very nicely in abduction literature because um, often the, the abductee is taken aboard a craft and his body is examined and uh, there's new materials being put into the, into the body. And, and in shamanism, this is similar. And... When the shaman undergoes a sort of initiation, he has uh, visions of being taken by uh, other entities and his, body's, his body being um, worked upon with crystals and things being put into his body. And these seem to be symbolic for his new faculties and so on. And in my own book, I use the example of Credo Mutwa, who's a friend of uh, David Icke, in fact. And he's the head of um, the Zulus in um, uh, Africa. And he is a shaman, or a san, sansomi, I think they're called. And he relates his own UFO experience in, my, in, um, in, in detail. And I've included this in my own book as a form, as an example of a shaman who's had this, has undergone this experience. And when he undergoes the experience, he comes out with all sorts of psychic faculties, um, ability to predict the future, uh, heal sickness, uh, have visions for civilization, and so on. So there was definitely a connection, it seemed to me, that between the shaman and and the UFO experience. We, um, you know, ha have a lot of people on the program who've had these experiences, and as you said, uh, abductees have a very common story to tell, and frequently it involves some type of manipulation by some type of entity. Why is the story so similar from person to person? I've always wondered this as well, and I explore this in the book at some length. And it's never quite clear if the physical body is taken or some kind of dream body or astral body is taken, because they, they always claim 
in in the case studies that um, it's never not particularly their physical body. And when they have the operations, there are scars on their actual physical bodies. But it's difficult to tell whether this is a form of what would be called uh, stigmata, where the religious mystics have a, a vision of Jesus and then suddenly find um, a stigmata on their hands, uh, such as, as, as scars and so on of the crucifixion. I was always interested in this, because if something's so psychologically real, it, it can bridge over into, into reality and you can have physical um, evidence. Uh, of, of being abducted. And then there's, of course, the implants, um, which then suggests that they are being taken, you know, physically and having these things put in. But the bridge is very difficult to, to put your finger on. When you, when you read more and more, as I did, uh, you come away thinking that this, this phenomenon somewhere in between. It's almost they like can step into the room and take some aspect of you and work on that without being present. And obviously, um, uh, with with works like Bud Hopkins, he talks about time slips and missing time, uh, missing memories, which come with that. So it seems to suggest that the UFO has some control over time and can control the human mind, which then infers that they either have a form of technology uh, that can pause time or, or make people lose their memories and put them in exactly the same places. But what it seems to suggest to me is that the entities have kind of occult powers and it's when i was reading more and more i found that there were a lot of commonalities between uh, the work of robert monroe who used to leave his body he wrote a book called uh, journeys out of the body and it's when it's, you start to read things like that you start to realize that humanity uh, has the powers equal to the aliens in in many ways it's where the aliens represent all of our occult faculties working against us and we see, seem powerless but the more you read, you may realize that we too have their powers, but they're not as well developed yet. So I always thought that there might be evolutionary in the sense that when we look at them, we're actually looking at faculties that we have as well. Uh, when, you say, when you say evolutionary, are we talking about a psychological evolution? Or are we talking about a spiritual evolution? Or are we talking about a physical evolution? I think they tie up all together. There's, there's a psychological evolution. I think that's what came... For me when i'd seen the ufo because i had to accept more and more um ideas and take them on board to 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 make sense of this bizarre experience that i had which completely shifted my 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 perspective because i then had to accept that things weren't being told to us or there were miraculous and strange events that could happen in your life which scientifically weren't acceptable and so if you turn to main, mainstream society, there, wasn't, there, there weren't any answers for it. I think, and then if someone has an afterlife experience or near-death experience, or they have a synchronicity that makes them question time and meaning, or someone has a religious experience, and for them it's very real. It has a, a real quality. But if they went to mainstream society, there wouldn't be any answers forthcoming for them. So then I think there's a spiritual dimension as well. So the occult obviously deals with ritual magic or understanding time, manipulating time, manipulating meaning, and making things happen in accordance with the mind. And I think as you read more and more ufology, you start to realize that the entities themselves have these powers. And I think if we meet halfway and then read ufology and understand it, and then understand that we, we aren't passive people, we aren't passive beings, and that we can 
elevate ourselves uh, spiritually and psychologically and then accept these other dimensions of reality into our own lives, such as synchronicities, afterlife experiences, and so on, which all seem to be quite convincing the more you read. You, you start to live in a completely different world or universe because suddenly it's underlying, it's underlied by um, a very deep, rich mystery, which I think is lacking in mainstream society, which I think this it has a religious base in some ways. It's got a ground of, 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 of what, what's lacking in our culture. Another thing we talk about on this show often is uh, psychic phenomena, and um, frequently we'll talk to someone who has that sensitivity, and when I ask how it started for them, they'll often cite a near-death experience. Is that a form of this um, evolution that you're talking about? Yes, I think it's very much so, and one of the things I've always noticed in reading anything is that people often claim that these miraculous things occur at extreme moments, and there's nothing more extreme than a near-death experience. And I think when they come back to the world uh, in their bodies um, and they, they survive this experience, it somehow brings enormous psychic energy into their being. Where they, they grasp life really firmly again, and they know uh, with certainty that there's another level of reality. But they, they, they fully appreciate being alive. And I think that's one of the things that brings these psychic faculties to the surface, so to speak, is that is we, we tend to forget we fall asleep in the world. And the UFO and any such experience which suggests a deeper reality opens these uh, deeper layers of the psyche up. So it has a psychological and spiritual development that comes with it. As we talk about UFOs and some of this other related phenomena, um, and some of what I'm hearing makes me believe that maybe this phenomena behaves by laws that we're not quite familiar with, whether it's uh, the laws of physics or some of the other laws that humanity has come to accept. There's something outside of that I think we're seeing here. Yes, definitely. Uh, one of the things that really fascinates me is synchronicities, because I had a number when I was writing the book and one before it. Uh, I'll use one example. Uh, I was walking down a street in a town called Stourbridge, and I was talking to my friend about the esoteric philosopher called Rudolf, Rudolf Steiner, and I didn't know anything about him. And his philosophy is called anthroposophy, and it's a strange word anyway. Yeah. I said, I said to my friend at the time, I wonder what the fruits are of anthroposophy. I mean, I just meant what, what the benefits are. What, what's, is it any good? Does it have any uh, fruits? I don't know why I use the word fruits, but 10 seconds or, or you know, a few seconds later, maybe in one minute or something, I turned a corner and uh, went into this tiny shop. And it had a very small collection of books in the corner. It was a charity shop. It, didn't, it just said clothes and some secondhand things in there. And, and there was a book called Fruits of Anthroposophy on the floor. And, it's, <laughs> and it, it, I thought, what are the chances? It, it completely blew me away. I mean, it... I just did, there was no explanation for it. So I bought it immediately because I thought it must have some meaning if, if, if it did. Uh, I never really found out what that meaning was, but it was more the event itself for me that blew, blew the doors open. And I think that's one of the ways that the alien or the UFO seems to communicate. There's a, there's a lot of um, strange stories which have this over bridge with a symbol. Um, Mike Cleland did a good job of this recently in his book on owls. And he, he linked up the symbolism of owls and the UFO and the common experience of seeing an owl 
or uh, an owl nearby or, or, or uh, it's related to seeing a UFO at soon. He, he, he pushes past the, the idea that it's a screen memory, that the alien looks a bit like an owl. So to put, when we see an alien, we, we see an owl because it's the closest approximation that we can get to. But there seems to be a deeper level than that. And it seems to be that the owl, for him, is uh, symbolic of the the uh, the of, of of death and the other world and the interdimensions uh, the interdimensional worlds and also the owl can see three more or less 360 degrees. It's at night. It has a radar-like face. It's a very strange creature, and he he explores this, and that's what I really appreciate about a lot of these um, levels that the UFO works on. And evolutionary metaphors is the the catch-all phrase that I've put together, which allows you to step back and treat the UFO as if it's an occult symbol, but without denying its reality at the same time. If if these phenomena behave by different laws, and they're not the laws of, of our physical world, uh, are they the laws of a spiritual world, world, or a divine world, or an interdimensional world, or is that the overriding question? I think that's the overriding question. It's it's difficult to tell. Um, I would say that the UFO phenomena tends to work in a way, it tends to work in a forward way with a purpose. When you go back to the earliest literature, the question that most people had was, where are they from? Which is where we what we still ask, but we ask it with a, a whole new range of other questions now. But when it first happened, let's say, let's go back to 1947 with Kenneth Arnold's case. At, at the time, it was a military phenomenon. And we asked, where are they from and what do they want? What are they doing? And are they military technology? Are they, you know, Russian Russian craft? And then eventually it sort of grew and grew and became more mysterious. Then the abduction cases came in um, more in the around about the 1970s the one of the best cases I've read is Andreas and Affair by Fowler. And that has UFOs, um, um, interruptions in the household, such as uh, electricity, electricity going off and the family being in states of hypnosis. And then that's another level of the, the UFO phenomenon, which wasn't apparently present as early as the 40s. And then it developed into other, other worlds altogether, the Abductions started to grow and become more and more evolved as, as John Mack uh, started to investigate it. And he was a Harvard psychiatrist, so he grew there uh, in, into that world of psychiatry and started to understand it. And then there was the, more in the 80s again, the crop circle phenomena. And that, that mis- mysterious uh, circles of flattened um, wheat and, and, and in, the, in the farmer's fields and so on. And that, that added another mystery. And then it seemed to grow and grow. And then it then it seemed to recede. And, and again, it's come back again now with the Navy sightings. And, and that's really interesting as well. I just wanted to ask you about your website, ritualsinthedark.wordpress.com. What is the significance of Rituals in the Dark? Ritual in the Dark is the first novel by Colin Wilson. And Colin Wilson's work informs my whole, uh, whole book, which is about um, optimistic philosophy and the paranormal and the occult. So Colin, Colin's work is obviously instrumental in, in you uh, kind of turning your attention and your focus from what I guess the rest of us uh, would consider to be um, our, I guess, I don't know, accepted school of thought. And you're looking at things completely different because of his work. 
Yeah, it, it was the work that broke down the door for me when I when I started reading about UFOs and the occult and philosophy. It all sort of flashed with his work because he brought it all together for me. And then evolutionary metaphors is how I try to go forward with his work because he passed away in 2013. And uh, Philip Dick is another author that plays an important role in how you've uh, gotten to where you are now. Oh, Philip K. Dick's uh, really excellent work in the latter part of his life with the exegesis, where he was trying to understand a an anomaly that happened in his own life with a pink laser beam. And of course, he's most famous for his books, which inspired films like Blade Runner and Total Recall. But his work really informs a part of a, a very important chapter in evolutionary metaphors. Um, and we just have a couple minutes here, uh, but I want to ask you about religion. We've talked about the occult. Um, where does religion fit into this, or doesn't it? I'm not religious myself, but I have quite a bit of respect for the religious impulse because I think what it brings to people is meaning. And this meaning, if it, I'm, I'm talking about more the mystical side of religion than, let's say, like traditional fundamentalist religion. But there is a, a curious link between UFOs and religion because um, I remember reading a book and it talked about how, you know, the lights were seen by um, St. Paul and so, so on, and that it, it brings about new religions. And this is the concern of the UFO by many. And I think it's a valid one because it, it could easily turn into a religion if it carried on. We, um, your book is uh, available now, and we have a, another hour to chat. Uh, but before yep. we go to break here, where can people get a hold of evolutionary metaphors? You can get it on Amazon.com or Amazon.uk, or you can get it from Sixth Books, which is the publishers. So that's um, and that's on JohnHuntPublishing.com. Is there any? And, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And and you can go to Ritual in the Dark, and there's a, there's a web links on there, which is RitualInTheDark.wordpress.com. And is there any kind of uh, you know precursor work that someone would have to do, do to understand the concepts presented here, or is this fine right out of the blocks? You can go straight into evolutionary metaphors, but I would also recommend Colin Wilson's Alien Dawn, which inspired this, and that's where I begin. But you don't have to read Alien Dawn because I talk about it at the beginning uh, in my introduction. We've got another hour with David Moore tonight, and we'll also be taking your phone calls at 844-687-7669. Don't forget that tomorrow night, Scarlett Ravenswood will be on the program, and Bruce the Shark Markison will be sitting in for me tomorrow night and then friday is a best of program monday del bigtree investigative journalist and ceo of informed consent action network will be here to discuss his work related to vaccines and pharmaceutical tyranny so we've got a lot of great programs coming up tonight we're talking with david moore david is the author of a book called evolutionary metaphors and uh, we're continuing that discussion and we're also taking your phone calls at 844 Seven six six nine. David, let's talk a little bit about pop culture, films, yep. films, books, TV shows, whatever it happens to be. How has that influenced, for better or worse, uh, this what we're talking about here tonight? I think it's getting better. One of the films I really liked was The Arrival. If you've seen this one, yeah, it's it's a really good one. Um, it's about how the people learn how to speak this alien language. And I think it's done really well because the uh, the aliens in that film speak uh, in a in a bizarre way through a sort of um, pictures on the, on this uh, screen, and I really like that because uh, it's it showed you the strangeness of the phenomenon and how it might work 
if it was speaking from another dimension or another level of experience of time. And I've, I think that's one of the ways that we're going to go. And I think people now want more and more challenging uh, films that show them other other realities. And I think with CGI and the computer uh, graphics teams, they can do this. Uh, I'm hoping that that grows and improves. I think that uh, the film Arrival uh, challenged people because often we think of alien uh, visitors as a, a bipedal creature, you know, with kind of almost hu- uh, humanoid like yeah. and and using the same type of communication, although it might be a language we didn't understand right away, but vo- vocalizing their language. And this film uh, really took those ideas and said, no, we've got to think outside of the box. It may not be anything like what we're used to. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate when these these artistic impressions turn it upside down and inside out and give us um, insights in just a completely alien way. And I think one of my favorite uh, books is The Miracle Visitors by Ian Watson, which I explore at length in, in Evolutionary Metaphors. And that book's about the UFO phenomena. And he approaches it in a way, seeing it as an evolutionary agent, that it comes into reality and it teases us and, and, and shocks us and shows us other things. And so it's never quite what it seems. But every time we, we interpret it, we add a new dimension to it, and it teaches us in a way. It's like a deliberate, uh, a deliberate uh, shock, or what I call it, or what's called a Zen koan. It's usually one of those. It's like a, in in the Zen monasteries, there's always a shock to make you awake, awake and alert. And I think that's what the UFO seems to do as well. There, there are people that have been abducted. We've talked about that a little bit, but there are also people that have had visitations from what they consider to be alien creatures, and in some cases. In their bedrooms, and there is a yep. uh, circumstances in which they feel as though this alien creature is keeping them bound in their bed while they're awake. Let's talk about that phenomenon a little bit. The it's a sort of paralysis, isn't it? It comes over the body, uh, and they can't move. And these strange insectoid, sometimes insectoid creatures, um, investigate them, and they seem to come in. and And say, so if you're in bed with a partner, she's usually asleep, and she she has no memory of it, and it seems to be uniquely just the one person. It's rarely the couple that experience it at the same time. Whitley Strieber, for example, I don't think Anne Strieber had any direct encounters, at least as directly as Whitley did, but she was there with them all the time in the same rooms. And this seems to suggest that the alien or the insectoid creatures or whatever they are, these interdimensionals, they can control time and they can pause and and choose who to speak to, and they can appear how they like as well. They can appear in whatever form. Their form doesn't seem to be so strictly adhered, but that might as well be a problem of memory because if we're looking at something truly alien, it, it's impossible to also to imagine what it would be to see the alien. What what the initial reaction would be? Most likely, it would be fear. I mean, there's no you have no expectation for what this being can do and what its purpose is. And I think fear would kick in. It would be fundamental fear of the unknown. We've talked about works of fiction, whether it's film or books, um, but we also have a very active and robust media and now social media platforms that are adding, uh, some may call it fuel to these fires, but in some in some cases they're uh, often ridiculing some of these ideas. How does media play a role in all of this? 
I think the media is important to disseminate the idea and it's usually not a complex one. So the recent UFO sightings by the militaries, the US Navy, has has kicked off enormously in the past few weeks. Uh, a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, I think, it blew open and suddenly everyone was sharing UFO uh, articles and everyone was, you know, um, they weren't criticizing it by and large because it was quite an official release. I mean, it was the US Navy had seen mysterious objects and they're, they're, they're an establishment figure and they're reliable. And if they're baffling these uh, high-tech military, that's some cause for concern for people. Uh, but people tend to want to see it as nuts and bolts crap, potentially military, potentially physical. But one of the things one of the uh, observers of the phenomena said was that the UFO that he observed seemed to be a sphere, a sphere or a sphere, a ball encased in a cube. Now, that's really bizarre uh, description, and it and it reminds very similarly of some kind of hyperdimensional uh, mathematical or geometrical uh, geometrical shape. It's a, a sphere encased in a cube. It doesn't make any sense. It sounds like a roll cage of some sort, or but it seems to be made of light or a plasma as well. Uh, so it's a way. Oh yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead and finish. Okay. Well, it was um, it was this way of reporting it, and it was these subtleties that make it very interesting, and it causes this debate to heat up again. And it gives people like me who've written books on UFOs uh, or other people who've written books on UFOs some credibility, some ground to stand on, because then you can point and say, well, the U.S. Navy have officially announced some some mysteries going on, so we can talk about it with a, a level of ground beneath us. Um, when when people forget that the social, uh, forget media's reporting about it, it suddenly... Uh, fades off into the unbelievable territory, like a fog seems to come over. And it, it's happened time again. It's uh, it's not the first time the US military have uh, announced some some reality, but we'll see how that unfolds. They might, they might uh, smother it over or they might bring it back or it, it seems to be quite silent at the moment. Well, there there has there's been a publicly announced change in the position of the U.S. military um, as far as pilots and other military personnel reporting sightings of such yeah. uh, craft or phenomena or whatever it happens to be. Um, instead of discouraging that reporting, they're actually encouraging it. Is that uh, turning a major corner? I hope so, and it would be very interesting to see how that develops. Um, often people are very critical about uh, the government and so on, which is perfectly legitimate, and I think it's perfectly fine to do that because uh, if you if you want to, uh, but you've got to be careful, I, I think, with these things. Is to what ends are they pulling it out? Is it for good or is it for bad? But I think we may as well be neutral for now and just watch what happens. Be vigilant at the same time and don't buy um, any any immediate announcement. And, and, and grasp it as absolute truth, because we know that kind of psycholo psychological operations that might be at work. And it kicks off with this whole new phenomenon. It's either symptomatic of the age we live in with the political upheavals. It might be used as a, a political tool at some point, or it could be a symptom of our culture. It's shocking us out, or it's appearing at a moment where we, we might need it, or it's reminding us of something, or or, or teasing the military. I'm not sure. It's it's hard to figure out now. It's too early, I think. 
you use the word culture. Let's talk a little bit about how all of this affects the culture. Uh, does it affect it significantly, whether it's our culture or um, maybe a foreign culture? I mean, I'll, I'll use when I say our culture, I mean Western culture versus yeah. versus a, a differently a different a culture that has a different uh, spiritual basis. Does this affect everyone? I think it does, but it's very hard to detect, but I think it really does inform us because it comes through our works of fiction and it's on the liminal, it's on the edge of reality, it's on the edge of what we accept. And I, I just want to, I've always been enticed and, and in, inspired by that edge, that question, because it, it is me the frontier of, of the mystery. You know, you when you look at the UFO, you're looking at the edge of description, the edge edge of reality, uh, paranormal. You, you're right in the, the field, you know, the borderland. And I think it's in the borderlands where new ideas can grow. So that's why I called it evolutionary metaphors, really. I mean, I, the phrase came to me before I started writing the book. It, it, it stuck. And I thought there's a lot you can go with this. And, and it can be described in culture, in stories, in films. And there's always a symbol of something other, something outside of our normal explanations. And I think if it affects our culture, it makes us uncomfortable and it, may, it makes us uncertain about what we know already. And it reminds us that we don't know everything, which is, is a good thing because it inspires us to go and find out, uh, to discipline ourselves. I mean, who knows an individual's power to its fullest extent? I mean, that's one of the things that really interests me is the personal, per, the, on a personal level, on my own level, but on individuals and collective cultural levels, who knows what is possible, what the upper limits and the best possible outcome for humanity is, is one of the best and most inspiring things about looking into the borderlands and seeing if there is the secret to existence and the secret to having a much richer life is the thing I explore at length in, in my book as well. David, earlier in our discussion, you talked about Carl Jung and uh, the fact that he was one of the earliest writers on the phenomena. But, um, you know, as things have evolved and things uh, change, how would he see it today, do you think? I think he was very far ahead with his analysis. And I think um, now he may change his opinion on certain things. Um, he would be very interested in the abduction phenomena, for example, because that hadn't really developed uh, in, to its fullest, fullest depth at the point he was writing um, Flying Saucers, a modern myth seen in our skies in 1958. I think where he would have gone with it, um, he would have looked more into technology. Uh, he would have incorporated the synchronicity, meaningful coincidences, and he would have been particularly interested in uh, the, the groundwork, what Pasolka has done recently, that um, people are getting inspired, apparently, from interdimensional entities which are uh, forming new technologies. And that's what's interesting, because, of course, there's the famous Roswell crash, and there's a lot of people linking that up with uh, technologies that have been basically hijacked from this craft and, and being used in everyday life, and probably going so far as our laptops to our screens and and all, all sorts of things. But I think another interpretation of this could be that we're, we're working with a deeper level of reality and there's uh, there's some kind of interdimensional force that's inspiring uh, technologists, it may be even artists, to create things. And these, these are very similar to spirits and spiritualism. So I always think there is 
a level of reality that where the dead live and you know, where they continue to live in the afterlife world, and then the the alien dimension, then the spiritual dimension, then the the gods and goddesses and and so on. There does seem to be the, these levels of reality, and I think he would go more into this direction. But it was hard to say because he was quite critical of spiritualism. But I think he might have become more open with the more grounded work in, you know, sort of holographic realities and quantum physics would have developed much further. And that's how I think Jung would have gone and where he would have gone if he had lived longer. I want to get into the connection uh, that you just brought up, and I think that's what you talk about in your in your chapter called Walking Between Worlds. But before we, we only have about a minute here before our break, I want to uh, point out something that you just, again, mentioned. The fact that we've often thought of spirits as being spirits and aliens as being aliens and even even Bigfoot being Bigfoot, and only recently have we started to even... Uh, accept or at least discuss the notion that they may all be coming from the same place and just be different interpretations of the same phenomena. What do you think of that? Thomas um, Holliday in Goblin Universe called it the Phantom Menagerie, which is like a the, a phantom world where all these creatures exist and shapeshift and and become into our reality and take different shapes and shapes and forms, influencing us in in miraculous new ways. And I think that's what it is. It's like a a, a an interdimensional zoo of different things that we don't understand and we're learning to understand. David, I want to talk a little bit more about the chapter in the book called Walking Between Worlds. There's a connection to the afterlife, shamanism, and uh, more. Let's, let's get into that idea a little bit uh, further. Oh, yes. Um, Walking Between Worlds was one of the things I wrote it towards the end of the book, and it was a a bit of a breakthrough for me. I just finished reading a book when I began it called um, uh, Sky Shamans of Mongolia. And I started to see a connection between the occult, uh, UFOs, alien abduction, and it all sort of came together in shamanism. And it's one of the oldest, um, let's call it a mystical tradition that, that is, it's ancient. It goes back thousands of years um, to to the origins, probably of the earliest man. Uh, even Neanderthal had uh, um, rituals which seem to be uh, similar to uh, shamans uh, drawing bison on, on on these cave walls and having uh, maybe ritual magic for hunting purposes. But shamanism is the real base spirituality, and Mongolia particularly. Is quite unspoilt in terms of its uh, shamanic tradition. So I looked into that, and I noticed that there was common descriptions of entities, uh, usually in altered states of consciousness, and that's not merely through hallucinogenic drugs, but through ritual dancing and and uh, spontaneous uh, visions that they would have. These people were very sensitive. And I looked into the uh, the Zulu people, um, especially Kodo Mutwa, who had a very traumatic experience, um, you know, being you know sort of beaten up and taken, and these were by human beings. These were just the the uh, Tuesh, let's call it human element that he was traumatized by, and and through that experience he seemed to develop a shamanic capacity, and um, often it was through trauma. And this is quite an interesting one because. Uh, uh, Kripal calls it traumagenesis. And often, of course, alien abduction is very traumatic. It's a very terrifying 
terrifying level of, of uh, abduction phenomena. And this is what I was thinking is in near-death experiences, there's also that it's not terrifying initially, the near-death experience. It's a sort of letting go. They, they, they go into a deeper state and they come back and they integrate. And usually people who've had afterlife experiences seem to have psychic abilities or premonitions. They seem to come back with many of the talents that shamans have, I think. And the shaman too goes into the underworld, into the, the realm of the dead to speak with the people who have passed over. And often, as even um, UFO abductee cases, where the dead arrive with the aliens, their passed over loved ones are with with the aliens. So it suggests that they're living in a, a similar dimension, or, or, or at least they have access to the same dimension. And that's a really odd one. And the work of Whitley Strieber, again, which I refer to, his later work was called The Afterlife Revolution. And he talks about the crossover between the dead, he calls them the, the so-called dead, and and the aliens, and he, or the, the visitors, as he calls them, and they have interactions with them through synchronicity, miraculous events. Uh, so a car might drive past with the uh, the license plate of exactly the kind of word he was thinking of, like a, a, a dead dog that he used to have. He popped into his mind, and a car would drive past with the name of the dog on the on the uh, on the license plate, and things like that. So it's all ties together very nicely in shamanism because it's the occult, it's magical. They, they're talking about spirits, extraterrestrial entities, but they have different phrases for the same things that we report and see reported. As we start to wind down this conversation, um, you had said your own personal experience in 2008 of seeing a UFO. Uh, you described it as, uh, a, I think you said, a bag of light. Um, that may yeah. have, that was the description. And you, and you described another uh, sighting uh, in a similar way. You talked about the light. And, and then we talked about the military sighting where it was a... Um, a sphere on, uh, surrounding a cube. Um, as as you start to define these and you start to describe these, are we talking about these craft? And I'll use that in quotes um, as actually just being an energy, some type of foreign energy that we're seeing, and not necessarily anything physical at all. I think this might be the case. There is examples of uh, the Dorito shaped uh, UFO. It's very common, a triangle one. And I think I saw one when I was 10 years old. It was just three distinct lights in a triangular form, perfectly still silent, right above my garden in, when I was 10. But it's not a clear memory, but I, I remember being quite disturbed by that. Uh, but it didn't, it didn't linger with me for very long. A few years later, I, I'd forgotten about it. And then, of course, there's a famous cigar UFO, which I, I think I have a memory of that, a very brief memory as a child with my best friend at the time. We pointed it out in a perfectly blue sky, um, so a cigar shape which vanished. And again, it didn't really have much effect on me. It didn't linger. I didn't. Uh, maybe one day after I was playing out again, it, it didn't scare me. Didn't cause any concern. But then there is the plasma, the plasma theory, which this this seems closer to to home at the moment because I live in Cornwall and there's a lot of famous white lights that are seen out in the countryside around here. They're usually called piskies or, or uh, fairies. And I've got a friend who took his dog out for a walk and saw a, a light which he described as a plasmic form arise out of the ground. And there was this vibrating sound and his dog went into panic. And this is remarkably common in Cornwall in the southern, southwest of England. 
and we write out in the sticks and 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 uh, this is something called earth energies theory of ufos which they're they're part of the earth or they live in the earth in some way so i'm, I'm becoming more open to the plasma interpretation and there's one book called light quest which aims to invoke these lights out of the ground in a sort of occult manner and that's something i'm looking into because it's very relevant to where i live well these uh ufo uh continue to change form uh maybe trick us, maybe find other ways to reach us? I mean, we've seen an evolution so far. Will that continue? They are very tricky. They have a trickster-like element, which is often talked about. Uh, They're like um, the El Coyote or the uh, Hermes or Mercury. They're they're wing-footed beings. They play with language, with form, with psychic abilities, and then suddenly they're doing crop circles, and then they're scaring u.s navy boats they they have a very playful almost playful and um treacherous attitude in some ways and then suddenly they'll have the transformative elements that you see in the work of streber and then you have the bud hopkins cases of of terror and body terror and this and it's very hard to put your finger on but i think the important part is to remain vigilant as a, as a human as a, on the human side we need to develop our psychical capacities equal to the phenomena so that we can challenge it in some way and if we can leave our bodies and if the afterlife experience infers that we're more than what we are then we've got a lot of ground to be playing with we're not we're not merely passive or creatures that these ufos make us feel small and insignificant and in control but i think the opposite really is the the thing we should be looking at and empowering ourselves in some way and looking into the occult and and, and and making our lives more integrated and having this sense of control about the uh, this deep reality that we're we're talking about. I think looking into it is is important, and that's why evolutionary metaphors was a title for me. I, I should have asked this earlier because you brought up uh, governments, and um, yeah. you know we've often talked about disclosure and acceptance and acknowledgement, and none of that has happened. Um, does acknowledgement threaten? the governments themselves is that why it's been avoided for so long i think so because the whole shift of society would have to turn and it would kick off i'm not sure um radical conspiracies which are perfectly uh, fine for me i'm not um, critical of conspiracies at all but i mean um it would have many effects and i think it would have a religious effect political economical uh, it would have uh, uh, maybe even cause power political problems and, and global political tensions uh, because it would be depend on which nation disclosed the ufo then russia would and then uh, china there would be the us and then the uk it would be a chaos and it would be very hard to put your finger on what that would achieve in in a positive sense or even a negative sense it could complete backlash but i think one of the things in parapsychology the study of of uh, psychic abilities is one thing that I have to come first, in my opinion, because there's some definitely with remote viewing and things like this is becoming more mainstream. And that's things I'm interested in is the remote viewing element to the UFO. And I think the UFO will follow suit and follow after these other releases. And I think psychic abilities first and then UFO disclosure final, I think. There's got to be an order to it in some ways. Where do we go next with all this? Where are the metaphors going? In my opinion, I've been looking into um, 
Colin's work has been very fundamental, but it's also disciplining yourself and and allowing allowing yourself to not jump to conclusions. This is one of the things I discipline myself throughout evolutionary metaphors, and that's why it's got this this title. And I'm not saying they're merely metaphors; they're they're symbols, they're realities. They're pointing a finger, and we're looking at the finger, but we have to look at the thing it's pointing to, and that's that's what I'm looking for. I think. When we go into the UFO phenomenon, we should accept all of it, all, all of it simultaneously, but without jumping on conclusion. But um, what it seems to infer is psychical abilities. And I think these disciplines, if we, can, if we can learn how to meditate and bring us down into these levels that people who have had near-death experiences have had, and they come back with these messages and these lessons and teachings, and I think we should listen to them and see and take them seriously and listen to what they have to say. Even Alexander is a good example. He he took, he uses sound therapies and all sorts of things. And that was like Robert Monroe too. And I think that that's a way forward. And I think we can come to understand the level that the UFO operates on if we if we follow all of the different disciplines towards it and sort of converge upon like a, a, a pyramid and sort of build up our knowledge of it from, from the ground up. I know you're always working. David, um, anything in progress that we should be looking out for? I'm working on a book next on occult psychology called Worlds Together. And I think I'm hoping to bring together UFOs, the occult, and, and everything I've been talking about in the evolutionary metaphors together and sort of expand on it. But evolutionary metaphors has been my sort of bread and butter, so to speak. It's the groundwork of my, my where I'm going to be going next. And I explore a lot in that book. There's a lot of different uh, interpretations of the UFO and I hope it's a very positive one because that's what it's intended to be—an uplifting, an uplifting and uh, expansive book. David, we're out of time. Uh, the the topic is fascinating. The conversation was excellent. Uh, I appreciate your time. Once again, let people know where they can find out more about your work and find the book. You can buy it from UK Amazon or US Amazon as Evolutionary Metaphors by David J. Moore. Or you can go on my website, which is ritualinthedark.wordpress.com. Or you can go to the publisher's website, which is Sixth Books, which can be found through johnhunt.com, johnhuntpublications.com. Thanks so much for being here, David. Thank you very much, Jay. It's been a pleasure to be on uh, Beyond Reality Radio. Hey, Jay, you hungry? I just heated up a couple potatoes. Here, let me grab them out of the microwave. No, JV, don't. Ah, my thumb. Ah, my thumb. <laughs> Don't let this happen to you. Crapco's Thumbrella is the perfect protection for the perfect unfinger. The Crapco Thumbrella is made up of high-quality, heat-resistant asbestos and perfectly suited to handle the most dangerous jobs. Just don't breathe near it. The Crapco Thumbrella. Use the Thumbrella for ultimate thumb protection while using matches, pouring coffee, sunbathing near the pool, changing spark plugs, handling kill-fired ceramics, and so much more. And how about those romantic candlelit dinners? Come over here, baby. Watch the candle. Don't worry, I brought protection. Thanks, Thumbrella. <laughs> the Crapco Thumbrella usually sells for $29.95, but call now and we'll triple your order. One for each thumb. And with every order today, Crapco will donate 30 cents to safety. Save a forgotten thumb international. The Crapco Thumbrella is the only safety-approved thumb protection device on the market. And isn't your thumb worth it? The Crapco Thumbrella should not be considered a thumb protection device and is illegal in some states. In fact, most states. You know, I thought about the Thumbrella because that that product by Crapco is actually 
inspired by a real-life event. I actually burned my thumb on a hot bowl that I had used to heat up a potato in the microwave. And the bowl, you know how some some dishware should not be in the microwave. It, it It's not safe. It heats up. Mm-hmm. And some, you know, the stuff you actually pay a little money for um, doesn't do that. So you're, you're safe from being burned. Well, I got burned by the heating the potato thing. And it was a really traumatic experience. It was when this show had first gone... Uh, syndicated, and um, I talked about it quite a bit, and people were starting to get a little tired of me talking about the huge blister on my thumb. So that thumb protection device was inspired. Crapco uh, took that idea and ran with it. <laughs> Are you sure you weren't using that radioactive Fiesta wear? No. What's that now? You never heard about the Fiesta wear? No. Certain colors. It was from the 50s or 60s, bright, oh, brightly oh. colored. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dinnerware, and and you run a Geiger counter over yeah. it, and it goes off like crazy. Well, didn't the same thing happen with they had watches where they had the you know they had the glow in the dark glow in the dark watches had a lot of radiation coming uranium actually yeah crazy stuff all right well that's going to do it for tonight tomorrow uh, Bruce the Shark Markison will be here talking to uh, Scarlet Ravenswood it's a great show for you tomorrow night right here on Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.